Shalom, my friends. Good to be with you again this morning. Shalom. May God's peace and wholeness, completeness, may His favor and His abundant, unfailing grace be upon you this very day. Now, my friends, we will complete our study in Micah 6, verses 6 through 8 this morning as we're looking at the final command to walk humbly with our God. Pray with me. And uh, we're going to be praying for all those around the world that are beset by evil and by trouble this morning. Father God, we just come to you dressed in Jesus this morning. Because that's the only way we can come to you. And indeed, we do come to you. And we thank you that we are free and enabled and empowered and equipped to study your word all over this world. Lord, there is no country, no politics that can, no ideology that can even compete against your word. Though men have tried to suppress it, it will not be suppressed. Your word will return to you in the purpose that you have intended it. So we praise you, Almighty God, Father and, and God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, our Lord and Master, our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We lay before you this study, and especially, Lord, I am challenged and shamed by this third requirement to walk humbly with you. For you know the pride of my heart and the self-will of my spirit. And we just lay it before you now, Lord, and pray that you would teach us this morning. Bless my brothers and sisters that are in harm's way in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, in the Far East, in China, and even in this very continent. There are people being persecuted, and in South America and all over the world, persecuted because they embrace you as their only hope. And we pray also for your your mercy and favor upon uh, those here in the United States of America in the uh, southeast part of our country, which are reeling from the effects of the Hurricane Ida, that it just made landfall this weekend and is now sweeping up through the eastern part of our country, southeastern part of our country, torrential rains. The western part of our country is still battling just devastating fires. Lord, there are earthquakes. There are wars and rumors of wars. And Lord, you said all these things have to take place before you come back. Well... It's happening, Lord. So we eagerly await your return. And in the meantime, we are keen to share your good news, the gospel, all over the world. Whoever's listening to this this morning, in whatever part of this earth that you have created, they're listening. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, your spirit, and your grace, enact and enable us and motivate us, Lord, to do what you've told us to do. All this we ask with thanksgiving and humility in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, my family. Let's look at Micah chapter 6. We're going to reread from verse 6 because this is the entire point of this series of messages that people are trying to do everything in their power 
to please God, to mollify Him, to atone for their own missteps and prideful actions. And you can't. So let's read again. Micah 6, verse 6. You be following along in your copy of Scripture and whatever translation speaks most clearly to your heart. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to Him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You realize that's what the nation of Israel, the people of Israel were doing at that time. And my friends, it's happening today. The abortion industry is that very thing. It is presenting the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And I know you don't have to tell me that, yes, some some unplanned pregnancies, so we call them that, unplanned pregnancies, are a result of rape or incest, totally not brought on by the mother. But by far, most of the abortions out there are because of the sins of my soul. Oh, my Lord. Verse 8, and he has told you, if none of this is acceptable and as a, an atonement for our sin, then what is? Here is what the person who has fallen upon God in abject humility and surrendered your body, soul, and spirit to him. Here's what that person does. Here is the life synopsis of one who has surrendered to God It is following Christ. What he has told you, O man, he has told you, O woman, young person, he has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but these three things? But to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, Father God. There it is. We've laid it out. You've laid it out for us. Empower us and challenge us to walk in it today. Amen. My friends, as my wife rightly shares with me, I tend to rehearse previous messages. Every time I preach, if I'm preaching a series, I'll spend the first half of that series rehearsing the previous messages. That's so wasteful, uh, and I apologize for that trying to get over that. I truly am. But look at this. These three requirements, you can bullet point them if you wish. What does the Lord require? But these three things, to do justice. Now we talked about that two or three weeks ago when we looked at the eastern versus the western sense of what justice means. And what God is talking about is to do those things that will restore shalom in the lives of the people that are oppressed, afflicted, cheated, those that are downtrodden. What God wants is for them to live in shalom, in wholeness, to be able to look after themselves, to be able to live without fear. And that's what we, as God's instruments, His people. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is doing justice. 
And we talked about the two Hebrew words for justice, mishpat and shemot. And that mishpat uh, that we're talking about here in this verse is seeking to restore the plaintiff, if you are in a courtroom, to shalom. The other one is punitive. Shabbat is punitive. This is not that. This is mishpat. This is restorative justice. Okay, then the second that we talked about last week is to love chesed. Chesed. Loving kindness. Uh, I mentioned, I believe, that it's the closest concept in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew mindset, to the to our understanding of grace. Of uh, in the in the New Testament, that would be charis, grace, that uh, dynamic force from God that equips us and instills within the recipient of that the desire and the ability to do His will. Well, God's loving kindness is not a benign, static thing. It is a dynamic thing. His loving kindness doesn't just allow, it enables and empowers. And so we love mercy. Yes, we don't we don't mete out what we deserve, what others deserve. No, no. We don't seek punitive justice for ourselves, do we? No, no. We we like mercy. We're on the grace plan, as my friend says. We're on the the mercy plan. And so that's what we should do. We should deal with others in a merciful way, not paying them back for the evil done, seeking their highest good to restore them to a, a loving, a consistent, intimate relationship with their Creator. That's what agape, the New Testament Greek word for God's love, God love is. It's agape. It's seeking the highest good for its object. That's what we are supposed to do. Okay, that's what he's loving. Uh, that's what he's doing here. To do justice, to love chesed, love God love. Love loving kindness. That's what he's wanting. Now, let's hurry on here to the third and final requirement. You say, is this it? Is this all we have to do? My friends, this encompasses the whole God walk here. These three encompass our lives as God followers, as Jesus people. Okay, what is humility? Well, humility is is not, as the uh, world might think, making less of yourself. That's not what humility is. Humility doesn't consider yourself at all. It considers what you are here for. What is your purpose? Your purpose is encompassed and encapsulated by God's will and and your part in accomplishing His will in making Him known throughout the earth. Okay, uh, if you're following the notes, and I gave you the, the link to the notes, you'll see that humility is actually the primary character trait that God is looking for in His true followers. And it's what we daily battle with, may I say. It's the character trait of humility. It's the, as I call it, the number one quality which God would have reproduced, exhibited 
in his people. And we look at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians 2, that well-known and often uh, quoted and preached on passage in verses uh, 5 through 11 of, of Philippians chapter 2. And I've got that called up here. He says, Have this attitude or this mind in your yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You have the same attitude, the same mindset that our Lord Jesus had when he walked the earth, who, although he existed, says verse 6, in the very form, the morphe of God. And I've taught on that many times before. The Greek word morphe means the appearance of this thing tells you exactly what it is. And so Jesus existed not like God, but as God. Okay, though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God. Equality in nature and essence with the Godhead, because he is. He didn't regard that as the thing to be hoarded for himself, but rather he emptied himself. Uh, the kinesis, the emptying, the humiliating, the humbling of ourselves. He emptied himself, taking the form, again, the morphe of a bondservant being made in the likeness, the schemata of man. Uh, He looked like a man, but he was more than a man. He took the form of a bondservant. That truly was his purpose, not to rule, but to form. The Jewish people were looking for a Messiah as a conquering hero. That's not how he came. He came as a suffering servant completely blew the minds of the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders, other religious leaders of the day, uh, because they weren't prepared to receive a suffering servant Messiah. But that's what he was. So, let's press on here. Humility is not, may I say, not a natural human trait. Would you agree? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Indeed, pride. The prideful spirit, John, the Apostle John calls it over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, rather. He says the boastful pride of life. It's the, in the, top, it's in the three root causes of sin. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. It's, it's right there. All the sins, all the injuries that we do to other people are rooted in one of those three, either the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the desire to have more, or boastful pride of life, the the desire to be in charge, to be on top, to be number one. Okay, I love this uh, movement that out there among athletes says, I am number two, I'm second string, and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is number one. The prideful spirit is despised by God. It is the despite. It is despised by God. I can't. There's. There's. It's like an 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 enigma to God. Leviticus chapter twenty six, in the training for priesthood for God's people. See, we are all said to be a nation of priests, right? That's what He calls us, a nation of priests. As such, He says, "I will break down the pride of your power." I will also make your sky like iron. In other words, your your prayers will not be answered. And the earth 
like bronze. You won't be able to look after yourself if you have a prideful spirit. Wow. Uh, does this give you an idea of the, God's attitude towards a prideful attitude? Okay, it, the only way to overcome a prideful spirit, okay, I think we, we've established that the prideful spirit is bad. All right, so what do we do about that? Well, uh, God says in Philippians 6 through 8, and Jesus said himself in, in so many places, the only way uh, to overcome it is by grace, God's grace. All right, his desire and ability to do his will. Now, okay, because that God's grace, sense of grace, is the only way that can change your heart. If you receive God's grace, he will humble you. Now, let me say that all three of these requirements come down to being an act of the will. Okay, it's an act of the will. That's the way it's got to start. Now, God is going to convict you and with that conviction give you the the grace to change. But you have to will. You have to want it. When I was lifting weights, sometimes I was under an un- incredible amount of iron and my spotter would say, you got to want it. You got to want it. And sometimes I wanted it and sometimes I didn't want it, apparently. Because sometimes I could do it. I could make that lift. Sometimes the lift made me. I guess I could preach on that too. But let's get back to let's get back to the subject here. We have to humble ourselves. And I read you verses uh, six and and seven. Uh, now let's look at verse eight of Philippians two. Being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself. And again, this appearance is the Greek word schemata. It is the resemblance of a man. This says that he was fully God, okay? So he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, what does this mean that he humbled himself? That means that he surrendered his entire being to the Father's will. Remember the recounting of him in the garden, uh, bleeding, praying so intense that his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling on that rock, saying, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. In that act, he was surrendering his will to the Father's plan. And he, in doing so, set the example for us. This, my friends, is how we must live. We have to empty ourselves of any personal rights. Now, I've taught what is the marks of a, of a servant, of a true servant slash slave, a doulos in the Greek language. What are the marks? Number one, we have no personal rights, okay? What does it mean uh, over in Romans chapter 10 when he says this is how we're saved? This is the gospel that if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, he is our living Lord, we shall be saved. What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? 
Yesu Nibwana in Swahili. Yesu Nibwana, my, my African friends are going to rejoice when they hear that. Virtually every communication we have uh, ends with that. Yesu Nibwana. What does it mean? Well, there are three aspects of Jesus' lordship. Okay, number one, he is master of all. The implications of that is that there is nothing that is outside his purview. There's nothing outside his power, his presence, his knowledge. There's nothing that happens in the universe. Even these, these horrible things, if we take the bigger view, the longer view, the universal and eternal view, even these are going to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his presence. Isn't that what Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says? Even those horrible things. But we got to take the bigger few. We can't just draw the circle around ourselves and say, that hurts me. Well, maybe so. But if you get out of that circle, get out of yourself, you're going to say, okay, even the pain is will result in good because it makes you look to God for your sustaining grace. And He provides that in abundance. Okay, so we have to empty ourselves. So the first aspects of Jesus being Lord, Yesu Nibwana, is that he's Lord of all. Second aspect, he's Lord of me. Jesus is my Lord. What are the implications of that? The implication, the main implication is I am absolutely dependent upon him and I don't call my own shots. Regretfully and in confession, I have to say that all too many times I still try. I still say, all right, I'm going to make plans and I'm going to do this and that and the other. And then God says, really? And I say, if it be your will. <laughs> so in other words, I'm presenting my agenda to him and say, okay, is this what you have in mind or do you have something else in mind? And I, I do I do say that he will often change my mind. <laughs> He'll do it. He'll say, nope. Nope, today is this is what's more important to me. And that's what I better be doing. It's what more, is more important to him. Would you agree? Okay. And the third implication of Jesus' lordship that, that we attain by humbling ourselves to him and, and bowing our knee and our heart and our head, our whole being to him, surrendering to him, the third aspect is Jesus is Lord of us who are his body. Implications of that is I treat everybody with honor. I have to see them not as they appear, not as they perform, but as they are children of the God Most High. People who are in Jesus worthy of respect, honor, help, and the fact is we are codependent. We're on each other. We need each other. I cannot I cannot operate as a an island. No man is an island. No man is truly captain of his soul. If you're the captain of your soul, your ship is headed for shipwreck and devastation. That's what God says. So, Jesus is Lord of us. That means I work in concert with, in an orchestration uh, conducted by Jesus and the, through the Holy Spirit with other believers. I cannot do everything myself. Sometimes I'm convinced I, I better not be doing anything by myself, but then I've got stuff to do that God has ordained for me to do. So that's the third aspect. It all boils down, this, this uh, third requirement to 
Jesus is Lord. Do you understand that? Can you say that looking him in the eye? Yes, master. Yes, my master. And we wait upon him. Okay, so we have no personal rights. We have no personal resources because we have surrendered everything we, we previously owned to him. We've transferred ownership to him and we have become his stewards. Okay, no rights. No resources that, that don't belong to him. And the third aspect of being a, a true God servant is that we have no limitations. Whatever God instructs us to do, he empowers us to do. In the military, it's called a commission. If we are commissioned for a responsibility, then the commissioning organization provides the resources and the freedom and everything we need to perform our duties. And so that's what it is. We are completely dependent upon Him. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We must die to ourselves. Jesus gave this analogy. Anyone who would be my disciple, who would follow me, must first die to himself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Climb up on that altar of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Climb up on that altar and be found as a, a pleasing sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And we allow God to meet our needs. You say, but I have a want in this area. Okay, do you have a need? Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's nothing that I truly need that he is not going to supply. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? This is an act of your will. Okay, we have to will ourselves to do justice, to seek shalom. And not just seek it, but uh, enable shalom for those that are oppressed. We have to surrender our our, our will to love as God loves. See, agape is not human love. It's not natural human love. Phileo, uh, storge, these are human type loves. Certainly eros is, but uh, we're not even going to talk about that. It's all pointed at self-satisfaction, where agape is seeking the highest good of its object. That's that's an act of our will as we submit ourselves. What does it say over in um, Ephesians chapter 5 when he's instructed husbands? Regarding their their wives, he says, "Husbands, love your wife, agape your your wife. Seek her highest good, and her highest good is to daily walk with her arm into God's arm, to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to walk along His path, and to know Him. We find our identity and our purpose in God's plan." And in his provision, if we go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted Jesus. Why? Because he surrendered himself. He humbled himself to to the purpose of God. What was the purpose of God? The purpose of God was to, to redeem mankind through the sacrifice of his son, his own son. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, 
who are in heaven and on earth and other under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, oh, that's it. That's the bottom line, as we say. And we find our identity in Him. But there's been some discussion and uh, some study uh, in our own small group about the baptism of Jesus. Why, why did He do that? He didn't need to be baptized. There was no sin for Him to repent of. Why did He need to be baptized? Uh, well, he, he was baptized by John the baptizer, his relative, actually, through his mother course obvious that's the only human relatives he could have is through his mom okay <laughs> but i digress yes i do uh he was baptized so that he might identify with the 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 message and the ministry of john the baptist and what was the message repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so did, what did jesus do his primary message was repent turn from your wicked ways oh Okay, okay, okay. Stay on track here. We're in a mess today, my friends. I feel a preaching coming on. Uh, This is a dangerous place for me, and probably for you. I feel a preaching coming on. Here it is. Second Chronicles, chapter 7. You know this so well. If my people... Okay, look at the previous verses. If, If famines, if wars, if bad things are happening, if... Disease is breaks out among you. What are you going to do? You're going to wallow around in it as a supervisor? What are you going to do? You're going to wallow around in it? Well, no. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear. Then, my friends, did you hear that? Then I will hear from heaven. First of all, forgive their sin because that's the root problem is our sin, not our circumstance. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. So what are you most distraught about? The trouble or the cause? I submit to you this morning here in South Texas this morning. I submit to you that we should be most concerned and most brokenhearted about the cause. And that's our sin. Oh, turn Turn from your wicked ways, else why will you die, O house of Israel? Oh, my goodness, my goodness. Find your identity and purpose in God's plan and provision for you. It's our contention, my contention, that the God-filled, the Spirit-filled Christian should be virtually unoffendable. We have so many people. It's almost become a joke or a proverb today. Oh, you're offended? Bless your heart, as we say here in the South. Bless your heart. You're offended? Okay, there's a lot of people offended by a lot of things today, right? And most of the people that are most offended are the farthest from God and following His will, from knowing Him, from humbling themselves before Him. You know, our anger most often is is rooted in a violated right self-right when we have claimed something as a right or as a, a, a privilege or as my resource and somebody takes that from me or steps on it i'm offended i'm mad i'm angry uh, that if you're a spirit-filled christian that needs to be way down if it's on your list of responses at all it should be dead last in small print 
to get angry, to be offended. Are we most concerned about what offends us or what offends God? I think we know what the answer to that is, right? God will test our spirit by allowing us to be offended. We don't like that process, but that, he does. He'll test us all the time. He'll let something happen. He says, okay, how are you going to handle that? Are you going to fight back? Are you going to are you going to see it for what it is, that the, that the offense is a tool for me to use to carve my image on you, on your, per, on your person, on your uh, spirit, on your attitudes, on your personality? I want to have him. Okay, so what are we going to do? Let's close. We should never be asking, what am I doing to please God? See, I had to change that from the original teaching back Back in 2004 or seven, whenever I taught this first time, I said, what can, what can I do to please God? I can do nothing. So I don't even ask that question. What can I do to please Him? Here's what I should ask. These three questions, okay? We should, we should be asking these three questions at the end of every day. Wouldn't hurt to ask them in our quiet time in the mornings. Number one, what can I do to restore shalom to the oppressed? What can I do? And it's not simply taking money or clothes to the Salvation Army or giving money to that guy on the street corner. You know, maybe that's okay. Buying him a meal. Maybe that's okay. But that's not going to restore his shalom. Okay. I had a good friend who's now with the Lord who said, you know, sometimes when we are sharing the gospel to somebody, it's they're more receptive if we wrap it up in a sandwich. And he said, "You got to feel the. You got to fill their screaming belly sometimes before their ears can hear." Okay, so what can I do, and what did I do today to restore shalom to somebody? Am I walking with God? Did I humble myself, or did I say, "Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think they're getting what they're deserved." Well, you want to move on to the next one, showing mercy. How can I show God love to those around me? How can I seek their highest good? Regardless of their position, their status, their resources, what they can do for me, uh, I have no expectation of payback in kind, do I? Am I doing this so they'll do something nice for me? Oh, that's not God love. That's not agape. Okay, and the third, have I humbled myself? Have I surrendered my heart? Because, hey, that's, that's the problem. It's a heart problem. Have I humbled myself before God? Have I surrendered my life to Him in every aspect? Am I willing to obey Him? Nothing withheld. No limits. No hesitation. Well, what do you think? Is that where we are? Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and beloved, which is your reasonable act a spiritual service that you not be conformed that you stop letting this world conform you to its image that you undergo a spiritual metamorphosis stop conforming to this world but be transformed be metamorphosized be transformed by the renewing of your mind how's that by meditating on God's Word, in the presence and full view of the Holy Spirit. we Our minds, our thoughts, and our wills are transformed. And by that process, we begin to understand the full 
perfect and acceptable will of God. There you have it. How do you change your heart? The thoughts and intentions of my natural heart are evil to the core. But God will transform my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. My, my evil self-centered intentions into God love. The seeing others the way he sees them. Pray with me, my friends. Father God, we lay this lesson before you. Use it for your glory. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you just now. Thank you for accepting us and giving us your truth. We pray this with gratitude in our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my dear friends. I'll see you next week. God bless you.